welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. We have a, a listener question this week, something we, we haven't done in a while, so I'm very we excited about this. We have listeners, and they ask us questions? <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> it happens from time to time. And uh, this week we heard from Jonathan, and he sent us something. He said, uh, hi, Douglas and Jeffrey. I have a question that's been rolling around in my head and bouncing off uh, others for a while. Sounds painful. But I still don't feel like I have a, a satisfactory answer. <laughs> Now, the question is probably deceptively simple at first blush. How do we know if this is working? And by this, I mean some new initiative or change in how we're working. Let me illustrate with an example. So a team has a really slow software delivery, and it takes two weeks for their separate QA team to test and do testing before release. So we decide to move QA into the development team. And chaos ensues. Many on the team start asking to revert to the old configuration because it felt better. So the question is this. How do we know in the midst of this chaos if this is working or it should be aborted? How do we know when it's time to call the experiment a failure rather than try longer? And he goes and gives some other examples. I mean, maybe this one's too easy because this is kind of a very standard change people make, but maybe there's others that people might experience where it's less obvious, like they're switching from Scrum to Kanban or vice versa, from Kanban to Scrum. Uh, could go either way, going from a co-located team to distributed or distributed to co-located. Sure, but they're all the same. I don't think any are more obvious. I think this this has a common pattern here. Okay. So so what do we do? How do we know, following the change, when someone says, hey, look, the old way was better. Let's stop this experiment. How do we know whether they're right or whether we should keep on? So uh, I have a, a whole theory on this, uh, which I teach to people often in a, in a different context, but it applies just as well here. When I'm doing strategy workshops for companies and we're working out what the uh, organization, the, the tech team or the uh, company as a whole or some division um, should be doing, one of the things that often comes up is uh, how will we know if this nifty new amazing direction where we move into a new market or we try a new technology or a new product, how will we know if it's working? And, and I think the answer is the same. Okay. And what you need, but, well, let me say what you don't need. What you don't need is um, a very accurate measure that's very carefully um, uh, calculated and that comes in a year later. <laughs> because if, if if it's delayed in that way, it won't be useful. You, you'll you'll discover a year afterward that this was a disaster. And what you want to do is find out um, a, a week in that it was a disaster. And, and so that's why I say that what you want to look for is imperfect indicators. And uh, there's a, uh, a common notion that people talk about uh, of leading indicators. And, and I've modified that to say imperfect because I want to underline how important it is that they're wrong. <laughs> and the reason I say that they need to be wrong is that almost certainly whatever it is that you're going to measure, like what was the first example that Jonathan gave us was... Um, uh, Moving the uh, QA team into uh, sure. embedding it within the development team. Exactly. Very good general direction often works, sometimes fails, um, but you're not going to know whether that's actually improved productivity until you've been through um, perhaps quite a few uh, sprint uh, uh, cycles, you've uh, released a number of products, you've seen whether the quality has actually gone up or gone down, you've had a chance to get feedback from customers. That's going to be months, if not years, in the future, by which time you've invested, maybe some people have quit and discussed because they didn't like the new method. You, you've you've uh, put a lot at risk for a long time with no information. You wouldn't want to do that in any circumstance. What's much better is to find something that is uh, um, not going to 
give you an accurate picture. So you're looking for something that's wrong, but that tells you that you're on the right track, that gives you enough information to be able to say, not this definitely is wrong, we definitely should change it, we should definitely abandon this, or it's definitely a success. But the, the balance of the evidence, the preponderance of the evidence, like in civil trials, is that this is probably working, so we should probably continue. So in the QA example, I'm uh, well, Jeffrey, uh, can you think of any imperfect indicators in that case? What would be an imperfect way of knowing that your uh, QA efficiency had gone up, that your team was uh, catching bugs without waiting for releases and customers and complaints? Right. I think a, that's a great question. I, and I think it has to do with the theory of how we, what a benefit we expect to see. And I think this is, is you know, we'll come back to this, which is you know, the, the fact that people say, oh, this thing that we're doing that's new feels worse, that should be expected. And I, I think that, and that's worth saying more about. But on the other hand, so in that sense, it's not really data. <laughs> we're trying something new and it's hard. Well, of course it is. You, you didn't know how to do it. So the, the, but you have a theory of what you expect to be better. In this case, they said, well, essentially the problem we're trying to solve is we have this separate QA team and then did downstream testing. And so therefore we had this extra two week cycle at the end. Well, are we able to do maybe not multiple releases? So we know the long-term impacts, but are we able to get a release out without having that separate step? That, that might be something I would look for because that's my hypothesis of where we expect to see benefit. So I'm going to say is, do we see evidence that our motivating reasoning was accurate, that we that this has the potential to pay off the way we hoped? So that's when it comes to mind. I don't know if that, does that fit the kind of thing you're looking for? It does because it has an important element, namely it's wrong. <laughs> and by, by that I mean um, it, it's going to tell you uh, merely the time taken. It might be that quality is worse. It might be that morale is down. It might be that we're uh, getting less information because of all these adjustment factors, all the things that are happening as we're learning about how to do this new uh, method that the, the team hasn't done before. But you're measuring an important factor, namely, does this actually speed things up? Because it's entirely possible that in your situation for your world, the fact that you haven't done the QA afterwards for some other reason that you, you didn't know about it initially and didn't know about initially results in actually slower releases. You have to do an extra compliance step. There's more regulation. There's additional uh, certifications that you need to do, for example. And uh, those things take longer because you didn't separate out the QA bits, so it's harder to get those steps done. And the actual time to release is longer. Well, if that was happening, then you, it is a disaster. You should stop and reconsider. Maybe you can do it a different way so you don't wind up with this problem. But you're, you're making the core thing worse, so it's unlikely that you're going to get the ultimate benefit. But you're not measuring these other elements, which are very important and which may um, scupper the, the plan as well. But you measure the key one. And by measuring that one, you get um, a real customer-focused benefit. That's another element of the imperfect indicators I talk about, that it's customer-focused. It, it's driving your profit. There, there's a, a business reason to do it. And um, your indicator has some connection, not a perfect connection, with the outcome that you're ultimately looking for, namely getting those features more quickly to customers and making more money from them. That's right. And, and so I like this idea that we're here, we're, what we're looking for in perfect indicator is tied to our expected benefit. And, you know, because now I look at the other examples that Jonathan provide, like, you know, Scrum to Kanban, 
or vice versa. I like the fact that it's vice versa. Because yes, <laughs> you're kind indeed. of saying, <laughs> it could, we could be making either change. And either way we're doing it, we have a theory, a motivating reason to try it. And so we're going to focus on the thing we're looking at. Do we see some progress towards that thing that we said we cared about? Exactly. And, and that will matter more than comfort. <laughs> and and uh, as long as you have one or more imperfect indicators, then you, you kind of have a glide path. You kind of know whether you're on track to land the plane short of the runway or past the runway and bang into the trees, or you're you're basically headed for the, 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 the right height, the right altitude. And, and when you have that guide, that gives you a much clearer sense whether or not, as Jonathan asks, you should stop the project, adjust it, or um, keep going. So I, I really like this topic because it ties back to something we talked about before. We have talked about the the expectation that there's going to be things will be worse before they get better. And I think we'll put a link in the show notes to that you know past episode where we talked about the J curve and um, the cost of making change. And the reason that we did that before is we talked about the need to prepare up front that it's going to be difficult, that you're going to expect from sort of conservation of energy reasons. If you're learning something, then your output will otherwise be lower because you've put energy somewhere else. But what I like here is I feel like by bringing this idea of the imperfect indicator is another sort of preparation that you're doing with people psychologically. So before we said we should expect it to be uncomfortable. And now you're saying we're going to come up with this measure and it's imperfect so that when people say, but wait, you're missing all these other factors, your answer is, well, yes, <laughs> that's that's what I meant when I said it was imperfect. And those things are important. But, you know, this and maybe maybe my initial imperfect indicator is is sufficiently imperfect. There's another one that's also imperfect, but but better. But we're going to try to not come up with the ultimate correct answer where we know for sure. But the question is, how soon can we get some signal that this change is working? Is that right? Do you see that as an important part here about, you know, the psychological managing people's expectation in that way? Absolutely. You should set up your imperfect indicators at the beginning. That's what I do in my strategy sessions. And that's what I would recommend to Jonathan in, in these sort of uh, organizational change situations as well. That um, ideally, you and I always would say jointly design this so you get people involved and um, uh, com committed and, and interested um, while you still make a firm decision. And when you've made that decision, you say, okay, we're going to measure with this for a while. And if that, that we really seem to be missing something, we can always adjust the indicator. But we're, we know whatever we use, it's going to be imperfect. And we're going to read this out, say, every week, every day, every month. Um, but I would say probably every week is the, the, the longest time you want to aim for. If you're going to be reading out the indicator and checking where you are any less frequently than that, you're going to leave a lot of room for doubt and uncertainty and just missing opportunities in uh, um, changing the change program, changing whatever it is you're doing or dropping it. Right. And I like here because if you came back to your measure, you're aligning people back to like, let's remember what's important. Let's remember why we're doing that. In my experience, that element is really helpful in any kind of change program because you're coming back. Remember, this is the reason why we're doing this. And, and yes, it's painful right now. And guess what? We're probably bad at this because it's new to us. Um, but let's remember what we're going for. And our adjustments that we make will probably be more effective because we have that end in mind. There you go. Okay. Well, uh, Jonathan, I hope that we answered your question. Uh, we certainly enjoyed talking about it. It was a great prompt for us. And uh, feel free to ask us more about it. 
you, Jonathan, already know where to do that, but other listeners might not. So uh, I can tell them that the place to look is agileconversations.com. And on there, you'll find uh, records of our episodes and free video content and our Twitter um, handles and email addresses for us and probably five other different ways to get in touch with us. There's all kinds of different methods there. And we love hearing from listeners. So please do get in touch with us, uh, including, for example, if you disagree and think that imperfect indicators are too imperfect, we'd love to hear about it. Also, of course, we'll be back again next week with another episode of Troubleshooting Agile, and we'd love to see you then. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Grant.